Supreme Court cases. In the century following the ratification of the Bill of Rights, the intended meaning and application of the Second Amendment drew less interest than it does in modern times. The vast majority of regulation was done by states, and the first case law on weapons regulation dealt with state interpretations of the Second Amendment. A notable exception to this general rule was Houston v. Moore, 1820, where the U.S. Supreme Court mentioned the Second Amendment in an aside. In the Dred Scott decision, 1857, the opinion of the court stated that if African Americans were considered U.S. citizens, it would give to persons of the Negro race, who were recognized as citizens in any one state of the Union, the right, to keep and carry arms wherever they went. State and federal courts historically have used two models to interpret the Second Amendment, the individual rights model, which holds that individuals hold the right to bear arms, and the collective rights model, which holds that the right is dependent on militia membership. The collective rights model has been rejected by the Supreme Court, in favor of the individual rights model, beginning with its District of Columbia v. Heller, 2008, decision. The Supreme Court's primary Second Amendment cases include United States v. Miller, 1939, District of Columbia v. Heller, 2008, and McDonald v. Chicago, 2010. Heller and McDonald supported the individual rights model, under which the Second Amendment protects the right to keep and bear arms much as the First Amendment protects the right to free speech. Under this model, the militia is composed of members who supply their own arms and ammunition. This is generally recognized as the method by which militias have historically been armed, as the Supreme Court in Miller said. The significance attributed to the term militia appears from the debates in the convention, the history and legislation of colonies and states, and the writings of approved commentators. These show plainly enough that the militia comprised all males physically capable of acting in concert for the common defense. A body of citizens enrolled for military discipline. And further, that ordinarily when called for service these men were expected to appear bearing arms supplied by themselves and of the kind in common use at the time. Of the collective rights model that holds that the right to arms is based on militia membership, the Supreme Court in Heller said. A purposive qualifying phrase that contradicts the word or phrase it modifies is unknown this side of the looking glass, except, apparently, in some courses on linguistics. If bear arms means, as we think, simply the carrying of arms, a modifier can limit the purpose of the carriage, for the purpose of self-defense or to make war against the king. But if bear arms means, as the petitioners and the dissent think, the carrying of arms only for military purposes, one simply cannot add for the purpose of killing game. The right to carry arms in the militia for the purpose of killing game is worthy of the Mad Hatter. United States v. Cruikshank. In the Reconstruction era case of United States v. Cruikshank, 1875, the defendants were white men who had killed more than 60 black people in what was known as the Colfax Massacre and had been charged with conspiring to prevent blacks from exercising their right to bear arms. The court dismissed the charges, holding that the Bill of Rights restricted Congress but not private individuals. The court concluded, for their protection in its enjoyment, the people must look to the states. The court stated that the Second Amendment, has no other effect than to restrict the powers of the national government. Likewise, the court held that there was no state action in this case, and therefore the Fourteenth Amendment was not applicable. The Fourteenth Amendment prohibits a state from depriving any person of life, liberty, or property, without due process of law but this adds nothing to the rights of one citizen as against another. Thus, the court held a federal anti-Ku Klux Klan statute to be unconstitutional as applied in that case. Presser v. Illinois In Presser v. Illinois, 1886, Herman Presser headed a German-American paramilitary shooting organization and was arrested for leading a parade group of 400 men, training and drilling with military weapons with the declared intention to fight, 
through the streets of Chicago as a violation of Illinois law that prohibited public drilling and parading in military style without a permit from the governor. At his trial, Presser argued that the state of Illinois had violated his Second Amendment rights. The Supreme Court reaffirmed Cruikshank, and also held that the Second Amendment prevented neither the states nor Congress from barring private militias that parade with arms, such a right cannot be claimed as a right independent of law. This decision upheld the state's authority to regulate the militia and that citizens had no right to create their own militias or to own weapons for semi-military purposes. The court however observed with respect to the reach of the amendment on the national government and the federal states and the role of the people therein, it is undoubtedly true that all citizens capable of bearing arms constitute the reserved military force or reserve militia of the United States as well as of the states, and, in view of this prerogative of the general government, as well as of its general powers, the states cannot, even laying the constitutional provision in question out of view, prohibit the people from keeping and bearing arms so as to deprive the United States of their rightful resource for maintaining the public security, and disable the people from performing their duty to the general government. In essence the court said, a state cannot prohibit the people therein from keeping and bearing arms to an extent that would deprive the United States of the protection afforded by them as a reserve military force. Miller v. Texas. In Miller v. Texas, 1894, Franklin Miller was convicted and sentenced to be executed for shooting a police officer to death with an illegally carried handgun in violation of Texas law. Miller sought to have his conviction overturned, claiming his Second Amendment rights were violated and that the Bill of Rights should be applied to state law. The Supreme Court ruled that the Second Amendment did not apply to state laws such as the Texas law, as the proceedings were conducted under the ordinary forms of criminal prosecutions there certainly was no denial of due process of law. Robertson v. Baldwin in Robertson v. Baldwin, 1897, the Supreme Court stated in dicta that the right of the people to keep and bear arms, art. 2. is not infringed by laws prohibiting the carrying of concealed weapons. United States v. Schwimmer. United States v. Schwimmer, 1929, concerned a pacifist applicant for naturalization who in the interview declared not to be willing to take up arms personally in defense of the United States. The Supreme Court described the duty of citizens by force of arms to defend the government against all enemies whenever necessity arises as a fundamental principle of the United States Constitution. The Court concluded, the common defense was one of the purposes for which the people ordained and established the Constitution. United States v. Miller In United States v. Miller, 1939, the Supreme Court rejected a Second Amendment challenge to the National Firearms Act prohibiting the interstate transportation of unregistered Title II weapons. Jack Miller and Frank Layton did unlawfully, transport in interstate commerce from, Claremore, Oklahoma to, Salem Springs, Arkansas a certain firearm, a double-barrel, shotgun having a barrel less than 18 inches in length, at the time of transporting said firearm in interstate commerce, not having registered said firearm as required by Section 1132D of Title 26, United States Code, and not having in their possession a stamp of fixed written order, as provided by Section 1132C. In a unanimous opinion authored by Justice McReynolds, the Supreme Court stated the objection that the act usurps police power reserved to the states is plainly untenable. As the court explained, in the absence of any evidence tending to show that possession or use of a shotgun having a barrel of less than 18 inches in length at this time has some reasonable relationship to any preservation or efficiency of a well-regulated militia, we cannot say that the Second Amendment guarantees the right to keep and bear such an instrument. Certainly it is not within judicial notice that this weapon is any part of the ordinary military equipment or that its use could contribute to the common defense. Gun rights advocates claim that the court in Miller ruled that the Second Amendment protected the right to keep arms that are part of ordinary military equipment. 
They also claim that the court did not consider the question of whether the sawed-off shotgun in the case would be an applicable weapon for personal defense, instead looking solely at the weapon's suitability for the common defense. Law professor Andrew McClurg states, the only certainty about Miller is that it failed to give either side a clear-cut victory. Most modern scholars recognize this fact. District of Columbia v. Heller. Judgment. According to the syllabus prepared by the U.S. Supreme Court Reporter of Decisions, in District of Columbia v. Heller, 2008, the Supreme Court held. 1. The Second Amendment protects an individual right to possess a firearm unconnected with service in a militia, and to use that arm for traditionally lawful purposes, such as self-defense within the home. a. The Amendment's prefatory clause announces a purpose, but does not limit or expand the scope of the second part, the operative clause. The operative clause's text and history demonstrate that it connotes an individual right to keep and bear arms. b. The prefatory clause comports with the court's interpretation of the operative clause. The militia comprised all males physically capable of acting in concert for the common defense. The anti-federalists feared that the federal government would disarm the people in order to disable this citizen's militia, enabling a politicized standing army or a select militia to rule. The response was to deny Congress power to abridge the ancient right of individuals to keep and bear arms, so that the ideal of a citizen's militia would be preserved. C. The court's interpretation is confirmed by analogous arms-bearing rights in state constitutions that preceded and immediately followed the Second Amendment. D. The Second Amendment's drafting history, while of dubious interpretive worth, reveals three state Second Amendment proposals that unequivocally referred to an individual right to bear arms. Pages 30-32. E. Interpretation of the Second Amendment by scholars, courts and legislators, from immediately after its ratification through the late 19th century also supports the court's conclusion. F. None of the court's precedents forecloses the court's interpretation. Neither United States v. Cruikshank, nor Presser v. Illinois, refutes the individual rights interpretation. United States v. Miller, does not limit the right to keep and bear arms to militia purposes, but rather limits the type of weapon to which the right applies to those used by the militia, for example, those in common use for lawful purposes. 2. Like most rights, the Second Amendment right is not unlimited. It is not a right to keep and carry any weapon whatsoever in any manner whatsoever and for whatever purpose, for example, concealed weapons prohibitions have been upheld under the amendment or state analogs. The court's opinion should not be taken to cast out on long-standing prohibitions on the possession of firearms by felons and in the mentally ill, or laws forbidding the carrying of firearms in sensitive places such as schools and government buildings, or laws imposing conditions and qualifications on the commercial sale of arms. Miller's holding that the sorts of weapons protected are those in common use at the time finds support in the historical tradition of prohibiting the carrying of dangerous and unusual weapons. 3. The handgun ban and the trigger lock requirement, as applied to self-defense, violate the Second Amendment. The district's total ban on handgun possession in the home amounts to a prohibition on an entire class of arms that Americans overwhelmingly choose for the lawful purpose of self-defense. Under any of the standards of scrutiny the court has applied to enumerated constitutional rights, this prohibition, in the place where the importance of the lawful defense of self, family, and property is most acute, would fail constitutional muster. Similarly, the requirement that any lawful firearm in the home be disassembled or bound by a trigger lock makes it impossible for citizens to use arms for the core lawful purpose of self-defense and is hence unconstitutional. Because Heller conceded at oral argument that the D. C. licensing law is permissible if it is not enforced arbitrarily and capriciously, the court assumes that a license will satisfy his prayer for relief and does not address the licensing requirement. Assuming he is not disqualified from exercising Second Amendment rights, 
the district must permit Heller to register his handgun and must issue him a license to carry it in the home. The Heller court also stated, Heller, 2008, its analysis should not be read to suggest the invalidity of laws regulating the storage of firearms to prevent accidents. The Supreme Court also defined the term arms used in the Second Amendment. Arms covered by the Second Amendment were defined in District of Columbia v. Heller to include anything that a man wears for his defense, or takes into his hands, or useth in wrath to cast it or strike another. The Michigan Court of Appeals 2012 relied on Heller in the case People v. Yana to state certain limitations on the right to keep and bear arms. In some respects, these limitations are consistent with each other. However, they are not identical, and the United States Supreme Court neither fully harmonized them nor elevated one over another. First, the court stated that the Second Amendment does not protect those weapons not typically possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes. The court further stated that the sorts of weapons protected were those in common use at the time. As noted, however, this included weapons that did not exist when the Second Amendment was enacted. Third, the court referred to the historical tradition of prohibiting the carrying of dangerous and unusual weapons. There are similar legal summaries of the Supreme Court's findings in Heller as the one quoted above. For example, the Illinois Supreme Court in People v. Aguilar, 2013, summed up Heller's findings and reasoning. In District of Columbia v. Heller, 2008, the Supreme Court undertook its first-ever in-depth examination of the Second Amendment's meaning. After a lengthy historical discussion, the Court ultimately concluded that the Second Amendment guarantees the individual right to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation, that central to this right is the inherent right of self-defense, that the home is where the need for defense of self, family and property is most acute, and that, above all other interests, the Second Amendment elevates the right of law-abiding, responsible citizens to use arms in defense of hearth and home. Based on this understanding, the Court held that a District of Columbia law banning handgun possession in the home violated the Second Amendment. Notes and Analysis Heller has been widely described as a landmark decision because it was the first time the Court affirmed an individual's right to own a gun. To clarify that its ruling does not invalidate a broad range of existing firearm laws, the majority opinion, written by Justice Antonin Scalia, said. Like most rights, the right secured by the Second Amendment is not unlimited, although we do not undertake an exhaustive historical analysis today of the full scope of the Second Amendment, nothing in our opinion should be taken to cast doubt on long-standing prohibitions on the possession of firearms by felons and the mentally ill, or laws forbidding the carrying of firearms in sensitive places such as schools and government buildings, or laws imposing conditions and qualifications on the commercial sale of arms. The Court's statement that the right secured by the Second Amendment is limited has been widely discussed by lower courts and the media. According Justice John Paul Stevens he was able to persuade Justice Anthony M. Kennedy to ask for some important changes to Justice Scalia's opinion, so it was Justice Kennedy, who was needed to secure a fifth vote in Heller, who requested that the opinion include language stating that Heller should not be taken to cast doubt on many existing gun laws. The majority opinion also said that the amendment's prefatory clause, referencing the militia, serves to clarify the operative clause, referencing the people, but does not limit the scope of the operative clause, because the militia in colonial America consisted of a subset of the people. Justice Stevens' dissenting opinion, which was joined by the three other dissenters, said, The question presented by this case is not whether the Second Amendment protects a collective right or an individual right. Surely it protects a right that can be enforced by individuals. But a conclusion that the Second Amendment protects an individual right does not tell us anything about the scope of that right. Stevens went on to say the following. The Second Amendment was adopted to protect the right of the people of each of the several states to maintain a well-regulated militia. 
it was a response to concerns raised during the ratification of the Constitution that the power of Congress to disarm the state militias and create a national standing army posed an intolerable threat to the sovereignty of the several states. Neither the text of the amendment nor the arguments advanced by its proponents evidence the slightest interest in limiting any legislature's authority to regulate private civilian uses of firearms. Specifically, there is no indication that the framers of the amendment intended to enshrine the common law right of self-defense in the Constitution. This dissent called the majority opinion strained and unpersuasive and said that the right to possess a firearm exists only in relation to the militia and that the D.C. laws constitute permissible regulation. In the majority opinion, Justice Stevens' interpretation of the phrase to keep and bear arms was referred to as a hybrid definition that Stevens purportedly chose in order to avoid an incoherent and grotesque idiomatic meeting. Justice Breyer, in his own dissent joined by Stevens, Souter, and Ginsburg, stated that the entire court subscribes to the proposition that the amendment protects an individual right, for example, one that is separately possessed, and may be separately enforced, by each person on whom it is conferred. Regarding the term well-regulated, the majority opinion said, the adjective well-regulated implies nothing more than the imposition of proper discipline and training. The majority opinion quoted Spooner from the unconstitutionality of slavery as saying that the right to bear arms was necessary for those who wanted to take a stand against slavery. The majority opinion also stated that a purposive qualifying phrase that contradicts the word or phrase it modifies is unknown this side of the looking glass, except, apparently, in some courses on linguistics. If bear arms means, as we think, simply the carrying of arms, a modifier can limit the purpose of the carriage, for the purpose of self-defense or to make war against the king. But if bear arms means, as the petitioners and the dissent think, the carrying of arms only for military purposes, one simply cannot add for the purpose of killing game. The right to carry arms in the militia for the purpose of killing game is worthy of the Mad Hatter. The dissenting justices were not persuaded by this argument. Reaction to Heller has varied, with many sources giving focus to the ruling referring to itself as being the first in Supreme Court history to read the Second Amendment as protecting an individual right. The majority opinion, authored by Justice Scalia, gives explanation of the majority legal reasoning behind this decision. The majority opinion made clear that the recent ruling did not foreclose the court's prior interpretations given in United States v. Cruikshank, Presser v. Illinois, and United States v. Miller though these earlier rulings did not limit the right to keep and bear arms solely to militia purposes, but rather limits the type of weapon to which the right applies to those used by the militia, for example, those in common use for lawful purposes. Heller pertained to three District of Columbia ordinances involving restrictions on firearms amounting to a total ban. These three ordinances were a ban on handgun registration, a requirement that all firearms in a home be either disassembled or have a trigger lock, and licensing requirement that prohibits carrying an unlicensed firearm in the home, such as from one room to another. Under any of the standards of scrutiny the court has applied to enumerated constitutional rights, this prohibition, in the place where the importance of the lawful defense of self, family, and property is most acute, would fail constitutional muster, because Heller conceded at oral argument that the district's licensing law is permissible if it is not enforced arbitrarily and capriciously, the court assumed that a license will satisfy his prayer for relief and did not address the licensing requirement. Assuming he is not disqualified from exercising Second Amendment rights, the district must permit Heller to register his handgun and must issue him a license to carry it in the home. Justice Ginsburg was a vocal critic of Heller. Speaking in an interview on public radio station WNYC, she called the Second Amendment outdated, saying, When we no longer need people to keep muskets in their home, then the Second Amendment has no function. If the court had properly interpreted the Second Amendment, the court would have said that amendment was very important when the nation was new, 
it gave a qualified right to keep and bear arms, but it was for one purpose only, and that was the purpose of having militiamen who were able to fight to preserve the nation. According to adjunct professor of law at Duquesne University School of Law Anthony Picadio, who said he's not anti-gun but rather anti-bad judging, Justice Scalia's reasoning in Heller is the product of an erroneous reading of colonial history and the drafting history of the Second Amendment. He argued that the southern slave states would never have ratified the Second Amendment if it had been understood as creating an individual right to own firearms because of their fear of arming free blacks. After a lengthy historical and legal analysis Anthony Picadio concluded, if the Second Amendment had been understood to have the meaning given to it by Justice Scalia, it would not have been ratified by Virginia and the other slave states. Picadio pointed out that the right acknowledged in Heller was not originally to be an enumerated right. Instead, he argues, there would be more respect for the Heller decision, if the right acknowledged in Heller would have been forthrightly classified as an enumerated right and if the issue in Heller would have been analyzed under the Ninth Amendment to the United States Constitution. He finished with the following observation, the pre-existing right that the Heller Court incorporated into the Second Amendment is very narrow. As recognized by Justice Alito in the McDonald case, it protects only the right to possess a handgun in the House for the purposes of self-defense. This narrow right has never been extended by the Supreme Court. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.